Welcome back to the Game Masters Academy, where we discuss how we can make every session great. My name is Greg. Thank you for joining me. Looking at another addition to Combat Corner, and for this week, we're going to be looking at a creature that I think is rarely used because of some of its unique nuances, uh, and that would be the Giant Coral Snake. Uh, giant Coral Snakes are... Uh, from the Ghosts of Saltmarsh uh, sourcebook. Uh, pretty basic giant snake. It's a large beast. Um, armor class 13, hit points 90, has a swim speed, blind sight. Uh, the thing that makes it unique is its attack. It can do a bite, which is pretty basic, and then it has a relatively easy constitution saving throw to be uh, to defeat. Uh, or it allows you to become stunned until the end of this next turn. I should say until the end of its, like as in the snake's next turn. And on a failed save, the target begins to hallucinate and afflicted with a short-term madness effect. Now, the madness table is within the Dungeon Master's Guide, uh, Chapter 8. And there are many different uh, uh, things that you can look at here. One, two, looks like there's uh, 10 of them. One of the things we gotta be careful with is when it comes to short-term madness, short-term madness is a random amount of time and it's determined uh, by a roll of uh, D10 and that's how many minutes. The difference between that and the snake, the snake gives you a madness effect that just lasts 10 minutes, no roll. And so, the madness effects that are available to roll on, it's a D100 basically, are, uh, they range from completely debilitating to the point where you are actually not even able to participate in this combat anymore, to relatively speaking, extremely simple. Uh, and so I actually want to go through uh, what those are. Uh, and then it looks like the... Um, the table is uh, got the first twenty percent goes to one, and then from there it looks like everything else is just ten uh, percent. There's a couple here that are uh, only like five percent chance. But so the very first one is the character retreats into his or her mind and becomes paralyzed. The effect ends if the character takes any damage. So again, this one kind of falls into the not that big of a nuisance because as long as someone walks up to you and slaps you, you're pretty much good. Uh, the next one would be the character becomes incapacitated and spends the duration screaming, laughing, and weeping. I'm sorry, screaming, laughing, or weeping. So this is one of those where it removes the person from combat 100%. It lasts 10 minutes. They're incapacitated the whole entire time. And basically, they just get to watch everybody else play while they sit there. That is not fun. Uh, the creature becomes frightened and must use his or her action to move each round to flee from the source of the fear. Now, you can have the, the snake be the source of the fear. You can say it's the first thing the person sees after they get bit. Uh, you have flexibility here to make that work. Next one would be character begins babbling and is incapable of normal speech or spellcasting. The character must. Uh, the next one is the character must use his or her action each round to attack the nearest creature. 
the next is the character experiences vivid hallucinations and has disadvantage on ability checks. Uh, the followed is the character does whatever anyone tells him or her to do that isn't obviously self-destructive. Next is the character experiences an overpowering urge to eat something strange, such as dirt, slime, or awful. Next is the character is stunned, and then finally the character falls unconscious. Uh, quick note on the character falls unconscious. You're technically unconscious when you're sleeping. And so unconscious does not mean that they fall to zero hit points. So unconscious is a condition. And that specific condition has a multitude of effects, just like frightened or charmed or any other uh, condition that uh, is prevalent. Unconscious does a couple things. You are incapacitated, can't move or speak, or are, and are unaware of your surroundings. You fall prone. You automatically fail dex and strength saves. Any attack rolls against you have advantage in any attack that hits the creature is a critical hit if the attacker is within five feet of the creature, ranged or melee. So, again, you would not lose all of your hit points, you just fall unconscious. So, considering the point of combat is supposed to be a challenge to the players and not supposed to be a challenge to some of the players, while the other ones get to go take a bathroom break and grab snacks because they are unconscious for 10 minutes. I would recommend strongly that you remove the ones that completely remove a player from the combat. So that would be stunned, unconscious, the one that is the effect of uh, Tasha's hideous laughter. Uh, it's basically uh, causes you to become incapacitated, um, and then you can either be screaming, laughing, or weeping. Uh, as those specific conditions or specific short-term madnesses completely remove the player agency and prevent them from being able to participate whatsoever. Uh, I, again, I just I always struggle to find the enjoyment as a DM or as a player when you're in a situation like that. It's just one of those things that unless you've got a very experienced party and they know what they're doing, things along those lines, you're going to just basically annoy someone because everyone got together Everyone sat down, super fun, exciting time. Boom, you're incapacitated for 10 minutes and you basically just get to watch everybody else try to fight this giant snake. It's the opposite of what we're trying to achieve. So uh, some things to cure short-term madness. Obviously, if you just let it run its course for 10 minutes, the effect will go away. There's some other things that we can do. Uh, the first is calm emotions which is a second level spell that is uh, available to bards, clerics, Oath of Redemption paladins, and it is on the expanded spell list for Archfey Warlocks. So if we look right at the bottom, it will explain Curing Madness. Uh, I'm just gonna read it. It just says, a calm emotion spell can suppress the effects of madness, while a lesser restoration spell can rid a character of a short-term or long-term madness. Depending on the source of the madness, remove curse or dispel evil and good might also prove effective. A greater restoration spell or more powerful magic is required to rid a character of indefinite madness. Again, to reiterate, a calm emotion spell suppresses the effects of the madness. It does not remove the madness. So let's say your calm emotions spell uh, actually only lasted for 
you know, one minute and the actual um, madness was rolled and is going to last for seven minutes. Well, that means that you get, you know, one minute where that effect has been suppressed. At the same time, the Lesser Restoration spell is able to remove both short and uh, long-term madnesses. And so that's something that we want to sprinkle in tidbits of information uh, throughout the encounter, throughout the quest that is going to bring this up. So that way we don't put our characters in a position, or our players I should say, in a position where they feel like they are now forced to deal with a character that has some sort of maddening effect. Lesser Restoration, on the other hand, is available to bards, clerics, druids, paladins, rangers, artificers, and is also available to celestial warlocks. It is a automatically prepared spell for life domain clerics and oath of devotion paladins. So that uh, basically just ends the condition completely. So, we want to ensure that we have provided the party a sufficient means to gain this information. Uh, and specifically, we want to ensure that if one of the classes that was just mentioned has access, they get the opportunity to prepare the spell, so that way they have the ability to use it uh, before we throw the encounter at them. Again, if we are providing them with this information ahead of time, then maybe we go ahead and put in those extremely crippling effects and we just don't target the guy that can cast it right away. Alternatively, we leave those extremely crippling effects that just kind of remove somebody from combat completely out. So that way, if uh, something along those lines ends up happening where the, the caster is the one that gets the uh, madness, uh, it can make for an interesting dynamic and you have the opportunity to expand on that story plot. So here's the way that I envision that this combat goes. Uh, it's pretty basic, it's pretty straightforward. You have a level four party, so that means there's four players. That level four party is off on a quest in a swamp and the People that are native to that area, whether it's a village, uh, whether it is an uncivilized group or a tribe, whatever, um, they've been having issues with this particular uh, snake. It's made a name for it, itself, and the party has been enlisted to help remove it. Maybe the tribe has access to a specific secret that your party needs for your campaign, and the only way that they'll get it uh, you know, deliver the secret to the party is if this nuisance is removed, whatever. There's you obviously it's your campaign, tie it in, but we want to make sure that we have access to a individual or a group of individuals that has prior knowledge to the snake so we can pass along the warning about the hallucinogenic uh, type of uh, venom that it has. An NPC guide takes the party and starts leading them into the swamp and is utilizing the tracking skills that this particular guide has to guide the party to the general location that the snake seems to be using for its hunting grounds. Along the way, 
the snake or some other creature ends up attacking and killing the guide, leaving the party without the additional extra knowledge that he would have potentially provided. In this particular location of the swamp, the water is somewhere between 6 and 8 feet deep, but the party can stay dry because there's trees that are growing in this water, and the very tops of the trees are uh, the, you know, the leaves, the canopy, just crest out of the actual water. And the leaves are so closely compacted together that soil, sediment, other things along those lines lands on them and is unable to filter all the way through. And then grass ends up growing on top. And so the grass that the party is stepping on and walking on is squishy. It moves, it sinks a little bit whenever they take a step. And it is an indication that what they're standing on is not actually the ground. With the guide gone and there being no additional extra information now that they're out there, when they see the two foot wide gap between a couple of these uh, little grassy areas that are floating within this water, they don't really know one way or the other what that means. Is that the path that this snake takes? Is it truly two feet wide? Is it a path of an alligator? With some decent skill checks, they should be able to access some additional information regarding that, especially if like a ranger or a, a druid within the party. And so we tell them, yes, that two foot wide path is the path the snake takes. We want to provide this anticipation towards this encounter. As they are slowly working their way into this snake's lair, the, uh, the idea of this snake being large enough to swallow them whole should rest heavily in their minds. As the guide was killed earlier, you know, let's say maybe there's three guides or whatever, but as they're walking, maybe the snake before combat starts attacks, kills a guide, and pulls them underwater. And so the party can see it, but yet they don't have the ability to react. And it's one of those situations where they saw, but they saw too late to be able to do anything. Uh, you might have individuals that would jump into the water to try to save the guard. And at that point, I would uh, put in there that the uh, snake is nowhere to be seen and neither is the guard. And so they can come back up to the surface to breathe and recognize that they don't know where anything is. Now, the snake only has the ability to bite listed on the stat block. Uh, just as a reminder... Uh, creatures are able to do all of the same things that uh, players can, which means they can dash, dodge, disengage, etc. But uh, what you basically are doing is you're going to take the snake and start attacking the party. Uh, it, I would, generally speaking, let the party come to the snake, and then whoever's there first gets attacked and move things along that way. Um, but with this environment, you've got a restricted movement. You don't have the ability to have these people spread out a lot. 
Um, you've got this underlying danger of the fact that you're standing on top of this weird ground situation that's actually a tree um, and that is surrounded with water. Uh, and so that can cause additional issues. If somebody jumps in the water to try to attack the snake, do not forget that non-thrusting weapons, basically a rapier, dagger, uh, spear, uh, things along those lines, uh, have disadvantage when in the water. So that's just a quick thought to remember. As the snake is attacking, and you know potentially if you're in the position where you feel like uh, you might need to do this. You know, resist the urge to try to get madness on every single character, um, but at the same time, it, if you get it on one or two, I would just stick to one or two. You kind of have to play it by ear to see how that goes to ensure that our tensions are high, our anxiety is high, but our feelings of this is impossible, what are we doing, uh, does not start to creep in. And that's pretty much it. Uh, as I spoke about in the advanced combat uh, encounter creation uh, episode that I did, I'm going to start including legendary actions and layer actions uh, on the combat corner episodes. So uh, this section is going to be for parties of plus five or more, I would say. Uh, as well as if you are trying to make this encounter the culmination point of a quest. And so, you know, maybe that tribe you were talking about had you do a bunch of other things, and this is the last thing that you're going to do before you move on to a different location. Everything else stays the same. As far as layer actions are concerned, we give the snake one layer action. Uh, again, reminder, this happens at initiative 20, and it does lose initiative ties. And so the layer action that we're going to give this snake is the ability to sink one of the little, like a lily pad, treetop type areas that we're standing on, the mossy, squishy ground in the, in the swamp. And uh, sinking that would then allow the you know players to now be in the water, uh, if they have swim speeds or if they have the ability to uh, breathe underwater or whatever, great. Uh, if they move over to a location where there are other areas or other trees or whatever and they want to get on that, don't forget that without a swim speed, they move at half their speed because of uh, the rules. So that's the uh, layer action for this encounter. The legendary actions for this encounter, there will only be two. The first one is just an additional attack. Uh, and so that's pretty straightforward and simple. Um, oh, again, legendary actions are actions that the monster can take at the end of somebody else's turn. It gets three uh, uses. Uh, per round, not per turn, so per round. So once it's done it three times, it has to wait until the top of initiative order to be able to get those back. I'm sorry, no. It has to wait until the end of its turn to get those back. The additional action that it's going to get as a legendary action, which takes two of its legendary actions, is going to be pull under. And that's basically a bite attack, but if it lands, 
the creature is going to be pulled under the water and grappled. With how low this snake's strength score is, I would just give it a DC of 12 um, and uh, make that more of a, oh crap, it can do this, than oh crap, I'm going to die. The idea then uh, is you would utilize this to pull the spellcaster into the water or to pull somebody that is controlling the battlefield uh, whatnot uh, into the water and there's a couple reasons why we want to do that first and foremost if you are unable to breathe you cannot cast spells when underwater so that can really kind of mess things up there Uh, and then the other thing that it's going to do is let's say you pull the fighter into the water well now there's no one between the wizard and the snake and so you've got the uh, additional environmental uh, elements that are within this encounter that are going to increase the difficulty for the particular snake. And uh, that's basically it. So layer actions are to sink the uh, land, I'm using air quotes, uh, the land that the characters are standing on, I would, uh, if you're going to make a map, almost think of it like lily pads. Uh, Each one of them is, I don't know, 15 feet in diameter, uh, just to kind of give you an idea. So the layer action is that you sink those, um, and then the legendary actions that you add to the snake are going to be just an additional bite or a pull under which is two co- it costs two legendary actions to do that, and it's basically going to be a bite, pull them under the water, and then a grapple that takes a DC 12 to escape. I hope that you are able to induce ophidiophobia into your players. I'm probably completely saying that wrong. And uh, utilize environmental effects as well as some extra just layer actions and legendary actions to take a relatively benign creature, CR4, a little underwhelming, and uh, turn it into a very memorable encounter for all of your players. Uh, Thanks for joining me. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week. And as always, let's let the dice decide.